The supposed intelligence insider, who goes by the name of Q, hasn't actually dropped any messages for months. But even while there are new questions as to who he is and how he came to be, the QAnon conspiracy theory that this likely imposter inspired, complete with nonsensical claims about U.S. government officials who worship Satan and exploit young children in sex trafficking rings, show no signs of going away. In fact, a new report by the Sufan Center, a national security research firm, cites polling showing between 20 to 23 percent of the American public actually buys into major elements of the bizarre QAnon cult. What's more, the report finds, there's evidence that foreign actors, principally in China and Russia, are increasingly spreading QAnon-related content online, thwarting Facebook's efforts to take it down, and fueling a movement that has become a national security threat. We'll talk to former FBI counterterrorism expert Ali Sufan, the founder of the Sufan Center, about his new report and what it pretends on this episode of Skullduggery. I do solemnly swear that I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States. And will, to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. So help me God. 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 I'm Michael Isikoff, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News. I'm Dan Clydman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News. And I'm Victoria Bassetti, a fellow at the Brennan Center for Justice. So we've done a lot on skullduggery about QAnon and uh, its bizarre beliefs and uh, the hold it has over uh, portions of the American public. In fact, just recently, uh, we had Colin Hoback, the director of that fascinating HBO documentary, on. Uh, that's the documentary that may have unmasked who Q really is, and it's not an uh, intelligence insider. It's the uh, administrator of the uh, forum where Q has posted his messages, a guy by the name of Ron Watkins. But it may not matter who Q is and or much of whether he still posts messages or not, because the fact is QAnon has taken on a life of its own. And most importantly, in this new report, it's being fueled by foreign actors. Surprise, surprise, China and Russia at the top of the list. Yeah. You know, uh, Q was pushing on an open door. <laughs> You know, this country was fertile for uh, these kinds of uh, conspiracy theories. And and the report talks about Americans having a significant cognitive opening that make them especially vulnerable to conspiracy theories like uh, QAnon. And, you know, that's absolutely right. You know, from our polarized politics to this sense that elites run the country and have screwed everything up. Which has some uh, and, truth to it. Which but. has some truth to it. Go back <laughs> yeah. to the Iraq war and, you know, all, all, all sorts of things. And, you know, the profound distrust in, in our institutions. And then on top of that, you have opportunistic and cynical politicians who are ready to, to tap into that for their own electoral purposes. And then the tech platforms uh, whose algorithms and recommendation uh, algorithms uh, amplify all of this. So, the tough thing is going to be getting at the root causes here and how do you kind of change the conditions to make uh, these uh, conspiracy theories uh, less appealing to people. They actually raise some of those questions in this report, but it's going to take a big effort to actually figure that one out. 
So, you know, it's sort of funny because I think all three of us on this have uh, dug into some conspiracy theories of our own in the past, and we have occasionally found them to be true. Mike, I think you've you've uncovered some conspiracies or some some pretty <laughs> wretched stuff happening deep in the bowels of the American government before. So, you know, it's it's interesting because I think like everyone is is uh, open to the possibility that there are some bad things going on in the government that are being covered up. But Q takes it to a whole new level of both breadth of the number of people in the American population who are engaged in it and kind of a whole new level of really crazy, right? I mean, for the avoidance of any doubt, uh, the, the U.S. government is not run by a cabal of satanic worshiping pedophiles. So far so, as we know. <laughs> but look, these bizarre beliefs have been around for some years now. I mean, Pizzagate was what, you know, a little more than four years ago. And that even predated Q, but that was the kind of, you know, belief system that Q was able to exploit. But the new element here is the foreign amplification. And in a way, let's go back to the 2016 presidential campaign where we know the Russians were doing everything they could on social media to exploit divisions within American society, to sow discord, to do whatever they could to disrupt the American electoral process. That playbook is very much still uh, at work here. And what's a bit alarming about the, the this new report from the Sufan Center is you know, the Chinese are taking what the Russians did as, you know, a guidepost for them to sort of do the same thing now with QAnon by pushing these QAnon claims about child sex trafficking and, and uh, assorted matters to have the Chinese doing it. And it is also sort of equally alarming. We've heard so much from Facebook and the social media companies about how they are taking all this stuff down and, and, and clamping it. And apparently, you know, they are not or they are not doing it to the extent that they say they are. I agree with you, Mike, that the new element here, as expressed in this report, is is the foreign involvement. Um, but the really important piece of this is what you just talked about, which is the internet and uh, the social media platforms in, in so many ways. I mean, first of all, they obviously amplify these ideas. And then you've got filter bubbles in which um, its confirmation bias is just confirmed over and over again uh, because people are hearing things only from the people that they interact with. And then, you know, these foreign actors take advantage of that. I, I think the real problem is, you know, what what is what's new here? There have always been conspiracy theories, but they've generally been at the margins of, uh, of American society. And now they've moved into the mainstream. And so it is the tech platforms that that is taking these conspiracy theories and pushing them out at scale. And that's never happened before. The numbers in this poll where you're getting almost a quarter uh, of Americans being uh, at the very least QAnon curious, uh, if not uh, full on uh, believers, that is astonishing. Well, what's even more astonishing is when you dig deeper and see when they asked about things like child sex trafficking, the numbers go a lot higher than 23%, which is the ones that are, you know, self-identify as Q supporters or sympathizers. So there is a large 
segment of the American public that is open to this stuff. And um, you put that together with the Russians, the Chinese, and to some extent, the Iranians and the Saudis, you know, pushing it out there. You know, the combination is uh, is pretty disturbing. One reason why we're all going to be looking, you may remember last week, um, Chris Ray, the FBI director, was testifying before Congress and said he expects to be releasing publicly an FBI threat assessment of QAnon very shortly, um, hoping to see it in the next you know week or so. Uh, and it'll be really interesting to see whether they have uh, gotten on to these to the foreign amplification that the Sufan Center uh, is talking about. But anyway, uh, we've got the best person to talk about the Sufan Center's report, Ali Sufan, the uh, famed former FBI counterterrorism expert. So let's get to it. We've uh, now got with us for a return engagement on Skullduggery, Ali Sufan. Ali is a former FBI counterterrorism expert, agent, New York Times bestselling author, and the founder of the Sufan Center. Ali, welcome back to Skullduggery. Always great to be back with you and Dan. And Victoria, now our new uh, co-host as well. Sorry, Victoria, (laughs) I apologize. I apologize. (laughs) Quite a fascinating report you have out uh, about the QAnon conspiracy theory. We've talked a lot about QAnon on this show. Um, Yahoo first reported uh, over a year ago the concerns that the FBI had that this that the QAnon conspiracy theory was a domestic terrorism threat. But you've got some new evidence here that it is being fueled by overseas actors, principally Russians and Chinese, thwarting the efforts by Facebook to take this stuff down. Tell us about what you found and how you reached the findings that you did. Well, thank you. Um, I mean, QAnon is a significant threat today to the national security of the United States. And I think Odie and I mentioned that uh, Department of Homeland Security talked about the disinformation nexus that QAnon is, you know, on the forefront of uh, with terrorism and uh, rising violent extremism threat. The FBI director last week uh, spoke about this threat and said that the government is going to put their own report about QAnon. And back in 2009, as you correctly mentioned, Mike, the FBI said it is a domestic terrorism threat. And we see actually a lot of um, rise in violence extremism connected to the QAnon conspiracy or was a result of a lot of the QAnon narratives. But one of the interesting things that we started to see in this report also, one of the major findings of the studies shows that there is a possibility and shows America's adversaries, specifically China and Russia, are actually using the QAnon conspiracy to create more divisions and more distrust in the U.S. And uh, if we want to speak about data and uh, quantify this in numbers, um, our research showed that between 2020 and the first month of 2021, almost 20% of all QAnon posts on Facebook, and I'm sure it's on other platforms as well, 
originated from administrators overseas, and specifically from China and Russia. Now, we have two components of data. One data, we know that the administrators came from China and Russia because Facebook allow you to see where the administrators are coming from. There's another component of data that we have to employ through our partners, Limbic, which is a data content entity um, institution, to imply artificial intelligence in order for it to tell us if it's foreign or not foreign. And we give it a score. And the score was high on a lot of these accounts that's coming from uh, China and from Russia. And that basically correlates with the other ones that we were able to get just because Facebook allow you to say where the administrator is coming from. Now, if we look at this data, People can claim it might be anything. It might be uh, criminal um, scams. It can be this. It can be that. But specifically, it's coming from these two different countries. And specifically, it's coming at times that it creates most division and take advantage of a lot of the societal discourse and political discourse in our society. And in the case of China, in some point, we saw the percentage of that Chinese influence operation from the 20%, within that 20%, go to the highest level, about 56, 57% at one point, the highest of uh, tension between the United States and between China. So we see correlation between what's going on politically and what's going on on social media. And this is really interesting because now we see states like China, states like Russia, and even to a lesser extent Iran, for example, all contributing to amplifying the QAnon conspiracy theory in order for it to reach to broader audience, which means that the blurs in the lines between domestic and foreign disinformation now is very significant, which represent a big challenge to the U.S. government and to the Biden administration on how to tackle this, not only domestically, but also internationally as well. So clearly foreign actors and potentially governments uh, like the, the Russians, the Chinese, the Iranians, Saudis and others see a real opportunity here. They see that America is a target rich uh, environment with this QAnon conspiracy theory. You are an expert in radicalization and mostly in the context of jihadists. But I, I wonder, um, can you help us understand why a conspiracy theory like QAnon with these outlandish conspiracies about uh, elites sex trafficking children and killing babies and drinking blood and you know all of this stuff, which is so insane. How is it uh, that a conspiracy theory like, like this can take root in this country? And you know, effectively, a quarter of the country believes and in, uh, buys into this, at least to some extent. Yeah. Now, this is a very good question. And some of the stuff that you're, you, know, you mentioned, which is basically the foundation of QAnon, human trafficking, sexual abuse of minors, drinking blood you know, of children. This is very you know, anti-Semitic conspiracy theories that has been you know, with us for, 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 for decades, if not for centuries. So they are building on something that already exists. But also at the same time, QAnon became more than just human trafficking and sexual abuse of, of, of minors and these kind of conspiracies, you know, these kind of threats that's going on that only Donald Trump can save us and there's a great plan on how he's going to get rid of all these people. It becomes something that's involved in many other conspiratorial narratives to include about 
you know, election being stolen to include, uh, you know, the pandemic. And uh, they they tapped into the anti-vaxxer movements. They tapped into the 5G movement. They tapped into a lot of the economic and social dimensions of this global pandemic and so forth. So what, what they usually do, and we saw that with the extremists, with the jihadis, and we see it today here in the United States, they look into into a cognitive opening. And then they start building upon that. And that cognitive opening is actually rooted in the distrust between people and between institutions, between people and between government. And they start building upon that. And this distrust, frankly, Dan, did not just happen under Trump. It has been going on for a while and it's becoming more and more mainstream over the decades. And and, and you can make a lot of you know, studies on why uh, that distrust exists. Uh, you know, I mean, look, you know, we, we can talk about conspiracies that come out of 9-11. Uh, you know, we can talk about the, the disinformation that was put out because of the Iraq war. There hasn't been really strong accountability that can make things transparent to the public for the last 30, 40 years on any topic from the economic failure to the Iraq war, to torture, to terrorism. You know, so a lot of these things feeds into creating that atmosphere of distrust. And and I think entities like this, conspiratorial uh, groups like this, promote these things and they start to build on that distrust of government and the hatred of elites and blaming them for a lot of the societal ills that we have to include, as you mentioned, human trafficking, sexual abuse of of minors or stealing presidential. Yeah, I just want to break in here just for a moment, because there are some really eye popping numbers in the polling that sure. uh, you did for this report, you know. For basic, I consider myself a QAnon member, believer, or supporter, 22.2%. So almost a fourth of the country, as, as Danny just said. But you go into the particulars of the QAnon conspiracy theory. I believe elites, politicians, and or celebrities are involved in global pedophile rings. 35.8% of, yeah. the, of the American public believe in that. On, on Facebook, yeah, exactly. And, and you know what? I isn't is it surprising when you uh, start talking about Epstein, for example, and about the involvement of Prince Andrew, and about a lot of these things? How nobody is following up on that? These are the issues that people are reading in the paper. So when you kind of start, you know, taking advantage of all these stories, not knowing the whole story, and promoting it. I mean, if you want to ask individuals now in the American public, do you think uh, Epstein killed himself or he was murdered? I'm sure you will get some shocking numbers that believe that there was a conspiracy to eliminate him when he was in jail. So we have to put it in the context with what's going on and how these individuals on Facebook uh, through algorithms set up by social media entities are fed information constantly that feeds into this conspiratorial narrative and build upon that distrust that already exists between the public and between the institutions. So l- let me ask, Q 
himself hasn't posted since uh, December. Q as a it isn't even an organization. It's sort of it, it doesn't have any kind of leadership structure or anything like that. And the kind of outlandishness of these beliefs have led a large number of people to dismiss it um, and to, to think it's just a, a bunch of leaderless kooks who've got kind of uh, goofy ideas. But you you think it's more dangerous than that. You think that there's a path of radicalization that um, leads Q to be more. And, sure. uh, tell, tell us about that path of radicalization. Well, we, we actually see that. We have dozens of people who are involved in the insurrection, for example, uh, January 6th insurrections, uh, belong to Q, uh, you know, belong to 37, that. I think, out of the 400 that have been arrested, yeah. have been identified as Q supporters. Right? And, and as we said in the report, that is a very conservative number. We're at the low end in this. But also in the same time, you can look into the reality of what's going on. We have uh, a cycle that goes basically a process from the, the radicalization phase to the mobilizing phase. Because of the QAnon and because of the conspiracies online, that went from about a year to about seven months. So that gives you an idea why the FBI, why DHS, why the ODNI are talking about this disinformation conspiracy nexus with with terrorism, frankly, violent terrorism domestically. And we see also the QAnon conspiracy, like with the jihadi conspiracies in the Middle East, prepare violent extremist groups uh, to include white supremacist organizations, to include anti-Semitic organizations, prepare them to recruit individuals who have been involved in the QAnon conspiracy. So is there, is there a, a bridge between Q and, say, the kind of more organized extremist domestic organizations, Oath Keepers, Proud Boys, Three Percenters? Is there is there a bridge between the two? Or is no, Q- absolutely. They believe in the same thing. And we see QAnon now. We, we see actually these organizations are asking their people to focus on individuals who basically believe in the Q narratives or elements of the Q narratives in order to recruit them more into the movement. So now they don't have to talk about World War II. They don't have to talk about the Holocaust. They can talk about children. They can talk about, you know, abuse of minor. They can talk about uh, human trafficking and they can talk about taxation without representation because after all, the election has been stolen, right? So these are things that's basically utilized by these groups in order to recruit individuals who already have that cognitive opening to receive a message that, you know what, we can complain about it uh, online. You can be with the queue doing memes and all these things, but towards the end, you cannot make effective change. Effective change only comes with violence. And we see that with the radicalization cycle of um, so many different organizations and groups at the time. I mean, Al-Qaeda, for example, ISIS, there is a secret organization that's ruling the world and it's all Jews. We see that very similar message with with QAnon about the elite. Uh, The United States uh, control all these countries in the Middle East through agents. We see that the, the deep state here in America. So we see a lot of similarities, how they build upon these ideas that might have fertile ground because of political divisions, social and economic circumstances, cultural issues, racial issues. They make it kind of like a political movement. And especially now, unfortunately, we start seeing people taking it from the from the cyber uh, sphere 
and bringing it to the physical sphere. Sometimes it's news channels. Sometimes it is politicians. Sometimes it used to be the former president himself. Or as we know, for example, with the pizza thing, it was the son of his own national security advisor at the time. Yeah. So, Ali, um, I'm fascinated by these parallels uh, that you were uh, talking about in there in the report between radicalization of, you know, uh, uh, Salafi uh, jihadists and the uh, and the Cuba believers. Um, the report talks about how you know, QAnon has leveraged the extremist playbook previously used by Al Qaeda and then enhanced by ISIS. But with all of your experience uh, studying radicalization of these other forces, uh, other groups, um, what have you learned? Uh, let's let's talk about the sort of uh, prescriptive piece of this. What have you learned about how this can be dealt with and how how the United States uh, should deal with this radicalization uh, uh, problem? You know, I think at this point and. It is the same thing that we used to say with dealing with the jihadis, you know, to counter this threat, disinformation or the things that's coming out of disinformation. It requires a whole society approach. So the U.S. government, the private sector, the civil society organizations and absolutely social media entities need to be all involved in playing a role in countering the spread of conspiracy theories and disinformation that is directly, you know, feeding into the, the distrust that exists and into the raising the threat um, uh, that, that's, that's, that's happening in, uh, in our society. First and foremost, what we need to do is we need to basically remove the crisis because crisis is what's making the uh, conspiracy theory thrive. And this crisis can be a pandemic crisis or political crisis or a deeply partisan crisis, or racial or immigration. And a lot of these issues, when they become a very deeply partisan matters and the, and the rhetoric is really high up in this, that definitely feeds into conspiracy theories. Second is the social media. Social media companies need to re-examine their deplatforming approaches, especially uh, as our recent research indicates that multiple foreign influence campaign might be taken advantage of, of their algorithm uh, to promote conspiracy theories. Ali, let me pick up on that because you, know, sure. you, you found in this research that nearly 20% of these QAnon posts on Facebook were coming from overseas, principally China and Russia. Facebook has made a big deal about the fact that they are aggressively taking down QAnon content. Sure. So how did all these foreign-based posts fall through the cracks? This is a very good question for Facebook to ask. I mean, just last we asked, by the way, and didn't get much of an answer. Right, that, and you know, we're you know, um, it will be really interesting. And uh, sometimes it's even according to their own data, you can see that the administrators of these posts are coming from foreign country, as we mentioned, big portion of this coming from foreign country like China and Russia. Just last week, I think on Friday, I believe uh, there was a story uh, how. I think six or seven thousand people from you know our militaries, our special forces, are promoting QAnon conspiracies on Facebook uh, chat rooms. Uh, so you know, yes, maybe they are taking down some of these things, but it's still a very big problem. And the reason it's a very big problem, Mike, is because of the algorithm. They have algorithm. All the social media entities, unfortunately, have algorithm that promote interaction and and and, and people to to kind of like fight with each other 
um, and, and, and to get really upset and angry about things because that's what bring them ratings. So it's very difficult to just wipe these things out as long as the algorithm are not changing. It's going to be, it's going to continue to be a problem. But, you know, I mean, you can't just go on Facebook and or any other platforms and you can see QAnon conspiracy everywhere. So, yes, they are putting things down, but there is still a lot of things remain on the platforms. Um, Ali, I, I want to ask you about um, we talked about what the the tech platforms can do and algorithms and deplatforming and all of that. But what about the United States government? Because it seems to me um, that there is a danger in you know some of the things that the U.S. government might do might also kind of fulfill the prophecies of of the QAnon sure. believers. So that might require some subtlety. Maybe I'm wrong about this, but you know you I think in the report. Uh, talk about, uh, you know, for example, and and this this happened. I mean, I remember uh, during the uh, Obama administration when they were dealing with the, you know, kind of countering violent extremism. There was a CVE uh, summit that the White House put on, and it was all about countering those those movements. Um, what should the Biden administration be doing? You recommended, I think, potentially creating a government agency that would deal with this problem. How effective would that be? What would be what would the purpose of it be? What would it do exactly? Uh, and what are some of the other ideas? I think media literacy is one thing that you uh, talked about. What is the government role in that, for example? Right. I think, first of all, um, what what we suggest the government to do is to have an interagency process, inter new interagency process that is not a chain to the domestic versus foreign. Because as you know, legally, um, you know, when we look at something as purely domestic, we're very limited in what we can do about it. And when we look at it as purely foreign, we are very limited in what we can do about it. And now we see a blur between the foreign and the domestic, especially when it comes to disinformation. We see it also on the counterterrorism uh, front with white supremacist organizations and so forth. Uh, I think one of the things that need to be done, and you're very correct, we have to be very careful on how we target it because we don't want to make it, um, you know, um, a self-fulfilling prophecy here. We need to have a bipartisan approach in this. It has to be an American response, and it is imperative to protect freedom of speech. Uh, but also on the social media, we they need to be frankly forced to re-examine their deplatforming approaches and to re-examine their design of algorithms. And this is extremely important in order to limit disinformation on this platform. And I think Congress is working on this already. And I think one of the things that they are doing is limiting the liability protection for social media companies if you know it can prove that their algorithm is recommending dangerous content. And there is a bill, a bipartisan bill, sponsored uh, by Congressman Tom Malinowski uh, in Congress on this. So these are a couple of things that, that can be done legally in order to kind of limit that. Because towards, you know, before when we had these groups, you know, violent extremist groups and so forth, they needed to have places to come and sit and meet and brainwash recruits. Now all these things are happening in plain sight. All these things are happening in social media. The reach they have is really amazing. And we are, you know, witnessing adversaries taking advantage of this for their own interest. 
Um, and this is where we are today. So it is, it's a complicated problem that needs a comprehensive solution. So I, I want to ask something maybe that's a little bit more personal. I, I was thinking, you know, once this pandemic is over and I, I go out to a restaurant, I'm, I'm shocked to imagine that when I look around the room, one out of four people in that room might be a QAnon adherent, and, and <laughs> maybe and the person I, serving I, you <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and right. and I um I I know some people whose relationships or friendships have actually been ruined by QAnon. I'm curious, from a more personal kind of individual level, what any average person ought to, who who's non QAnon should be doing or thinking about this movement. I think this is very complicated question, frankly, but I but I think. When uh, the pandemic goes away, I agree with you. I don't think we're going to see a QAnon going away or the conspiracy going away. We're going to, if if we don't deal with all the incubating factors that's feeding into this, if we don't make our society more resilient to these kind of issues, uh, unfortunately, it's going to stay with us, and unfortunately, it might get worse down the road. It might take a different shape. It might take a different look. It might take a different framework. But I think it will be. It will still be there. So we need to deal with the social, the political, and 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 the economic condition that's allowing these conspiracy theory, allowing a big portion of the American public to be susceptible to these kind of issues. And I think you know we start seeing sometimes. Uh, you know, things going down from that conspiracy theories, as you know, our our numbers in the report shows. So hopefully later we're dealing with these issues uh, in a comprehensive way from the U.S. government and from civil society, uh, we can do something about it. Like, for example, every citizen have a role to play. Uh, lots of the NGOs uh, in, in, in civil society have a role to play. Uh, groups like QAnon and conspiracy theories about you know, human trafficking, for example, they are attacking legitimate organizations like Polaris, who deals with, uh, you know, one of the major anti-human trafficking NGO. And, you know, we're, we're honored in, uh, in, uh, in Sufana Group to, to help them and assist them in dealing with the threats that they have. And, and sometimes when they kind of like over, they overload them with a lot of things on their, on their hotline, then they are not able to help other people who really need help, who are really being, uh, you know, trafficked. So we need to support these entities. We need to support these organizations. Um, Every citizen has a role to play. And, uh, you know, I I feel like towards the end, after the conflict goes down, these things will start fizzling and hopefully going back to the fringes. Well, let me ask you this, Ali, in the context of um, groups like Al-Qaeda and ISIS, have you seen any evidence uh, that um, that governments, that civil society, that people in those in those areas where those groups thrive have been able to uh, deprive ISIS or Al Qaeda the, uh, the the oxygen uh, that they need uh, to keep those uh, movements going? I mean, is there anything, and does that give you any hope uh, for what we can do in this country? I, recognizing that they are not completely parallel situations. Sure. Uh, but I just wonder what you've learned from what's happened there, if it's been successful at all. Well, I think if we want to talk about ISIS and Al-Qaeda in the Middle East or South Asia and stuff, civil society is not really uh, a big player. <laughs> you know, yeah, you're talking right. about governments more than anything else. Uh, but also at the same time, I think you can connect it to the conflict itself. Um, like, for example, before the war in Yemen, Al-Qaeda is in the Arabian Peninsula. Their number were probably about seven to 800. Now, after the Arab coalition war in Yemen, the numbers goes up to probably about 
seven to 8,000, if not more. I mean, their numbers are going high in so many different areas. But, but you know, if the war in Yemen stops tomorrow, I don't believe, uh, you know, Al-Qaeda will continue to have seven to 8,000 members because many of these people joined. Many of these tribes allied themselves with Al-Qaeda because they want protection, they want money, they want social services. Uh, it's a war. And Al-Qaeda you know, in specific regions said, we're here to help you and we're here to support you. And um, we see that in different areas. So when when the condition allows these groups to operate, yes, they operate. But when this condition goes away, they have the tendency to fizzle. So the main thing from learning from Al-Qaeda and ISIS experience we have to basically eliminate these conditions from existence because this is how we can choke them out of oxygen. And this is how we can, frankly, if you consider them fish, you, you, you drown the pond and then they're going to die. So, Ali, on that point, you spent years in the FBI hunting al-Qaeda, arresting al-Qaeda members, interrogating them. Uh, President Biden announced last week we are pulling out of Afghanistan totally by September 11th of this year, the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks. Are you concerned that we may see a revival of al-Qaeda in Afghanistan once again being provided a safe haven there? Look, you know, one of the things that really kind of shocks me is why did we link pulling out from Afghanistan to the date of September 11? Because I believe, as a person who has been working these groups for a long time, we actually gave a win for these individuals. Why didn't we link it, for example, to Bin Laden's death? Why didn't we link it to something else? Why September 11? Especially that it's on the 20th anniversary. And if you go to the rhetorics of Osama Bin Laden and Mullah Omar before, they basically predicted exactly that. So I think we have to be very careful on, on, on how we talk about pulling out of Afghanistan. We're pulling it out of Afghanistan and we're taking the Taliban's word for that Al-Qaeda won't be involved there. Uh, I mean, this is... You know, I'm sure Al-Qaeda is going to continue to be involved. I think Al-Qaeda now will be moving from the federal region in Pakistan to Afghanistan. Um, and, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of issues. Hopefully they will be able to solve before we pull out to include uh, a deal between the Taliban and the Afghan government. That deal hasn't been reached yet. The relationship with uh, Al-Qaeda, um, I don't think that we can take the Taliban's word for it. How are we going to monitor the uh, the threat in Afghanistan, if we're not going to have bases in Afghanistan, where are we going to set up these bases? Uh, Pakistan is not a reliable place, uh, but also Central Asian countries. Not that it, we, we had one once a base to do that in Uzbekistan, and it was shut down, frankly, by, by the Russians. Can I ask, what is the state of al-Qaeda today, uh, especially compared to the Islamic State? And on al-Qaeda, I mean, you know, we thought years ago after we got bin Laden, we'd roll up Zawahiri uh, very uh, quickly after that. Uh, we haven't. Um, is he still out there? Who's running Al-Qaeda? What do we know about the state of Al-Qaeda today? I think Al-Qaeda today still exists. Actually, you can make the argument that it's more spread than it used to be before uh, 9-11. We have Al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula. We have Al-Qaeda in Somalia with the Shabaab. We have Al-Qaeda in the Islamic Maghreb that consolidated a lot of these different ethnic groups that, you know, operated under different jihadis banners under one banner of Al-Qaeda. And it's considered by the Pentagon and the U.S. government as bigger threat 
strategically than ISIS. Um, we have Al-Qaeda in Southeast Asia. So Al-Qaeda still exists, and Al-Qaeda is basically shifting their strategy to focus locally, to focus on, you know, on, on regional issues in their specific locations rather than the global jihad. And that is something not Zawahiri, you know, not the idea of Zawahiri. That was the idea of Osama bin Laden before he was killed, before the Navy SEALs took him out. He gave instructions to Al-Qaeda to start focusing on these conflicts uh, that's going to come out after the Arab Spring in order to prevent anyone from filling that vacuum. Um, and that's exactly what they have been doing. In some regions, they have been doing successfully. In other regions, they haven't as successful. But it still exists. The problem with Al-Qaeda is the leadership issue. You know, Zawahiri is on hiding. We don't know what's going on with him. We don't know if he's alive or dead. Uh, but there are other leaders who are in Iran. One of them, Abu Muhammad al-Masri, who was the number two, has been killed recently. Now, Saif al-Adil, who uh, is one of the original founding members of Al-Qaeda, was involved in almost every terrorist attack Al-Qaeda planned. He's probably will be uh, uh, the person to lead the organization after Zawahiri, but also the fact that he's in Iran creates some complexity uh, for the organization. Well, um, nobody knows more about these issues than you, Ali. So uh, I want to thank you for uh, for joining us and also just an excellent report, which people can read. Savan Center white paper on foreign application of QAnon online. And you can also read about it on Yahoo News. So Ali, I want to thank you once again for joining us. Thank you, Mike. An excellent summary about the report in Yahoo News. Terrific summary. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Ali. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Victoria. Thank you.